0: I'm Robert Parker, and this is my lovely wife, Betsy, and we've been married uh, last week 50 years. We met 51 years ago at a wedding in Nashville, Tennessee. I took my girlfriend up there, and uh, after the wedding, I met her parents real well. I didn't know Betsy that well, but I met her. She left and went back to uh, Arizona, and through her parents and everything, I got her address and started writing her.
1: We got married less than a year later. And had someone asked me the other day how many times we'd seen each other face-to-face before we got married, less than 12.
0: She was my mail-order bride.
1: We've been asked many times what are the keys uh, to making a good marriage. And I think one of the things that I learned from my family, from my parents, is that they put each other first and they loved each other and they sacrificed. And I've tried to bring that into our marriage. Robert and I both have different interests. And I support him in his, and he supports me in mine. And I think that that's made a a good marriage for us, that we've allowed one another to be who they really are, who God created them to be.
0: When I was young, my mother sent me down one time. I was about 13 years old, and I was playing mama against daddy, trying to get my desires. And my mother looked at me, and she told me, she said, boy, I want you to know that I love you, but I love your father more don't you ever do anything it will cause trouble between me and him. The family revolved around their love together, and that's what kept us together.
1: We've tried to apply that to our marriage as well, and putting the Lord first has been the key, and then love for each other, and we wanted our children to realize that, that that was an important ingredient in our, in our family. And in doing that, we allowed them only one activity at a time, so we could sit around the table at night and uh, be together. When Robert and I got married, uh, we made a vow that we would love one another. So we were committed, and the idea of divorce was never an option, never even thought about, even though there were times that, of course, I liked him more than others. The love was always there, and the commitment was always there.
0: The last three sermons on love, self-control, and endurance, and and those things are part of my life, and I was brought up with those things, so with with Betsy, it's... it's, uh, they all apply. You know, I love her. It's not based on how she, uh, day-to-day things. It's based on the fact that I love her. I've made a commitment to be be there the whole time, and I've controlled myself, and I just, it's the long run. It has nothing to do with uh, anything else. That's, a, that's my commitment to her.
1: I entered my hand several years ago, and through that, he took care of me in a um, godly manner. Robert really had to do things that I couldn't do for myself, and I can remember he had to put on my makeup and even my eyeliner. He told me that you might lose some of your fingers, but it'll be okay. I'll always be here for you. A few years ago, Robert sent me a voicemail that I've kept that was so special because it said something uh, so endearing.
0: Yeah, and I, I sent her this voicemail, and I've, I've told her the other time, but I told her, I sent her a message. that said, Betsy, I just want you to know and I wouldn't trade you for any woman in the world. And uh, that's still true today, and it'll always be true.
2: Yeah, you can applaud that. I'm John Schmidt. I'm a pastor here, a senior pastor here at Center Point Fellowship Church, and we want to welcome you today. Uh, we're continuing on our series entitled Training Camp, and today inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline entitled Unconditional Love. We're talking about that because that's an important part of the Christian life. If you and I are going to live lives that are useful to God, we've got to practice unconditional love. And obviously, you're not going to make it 50 years in marriage without unconditional love. Heck, you're not going to make it 50 days without unconditional love. You're not. Because marriage is all about taking care of the other person's needs and loving them, whether they love you back or whether you feel like it or not. And today, we're going to talk about how important that is in the Christian life. Uh, ironically, my wife and I are celebrating our 29th anniversary today, and she's at our Pike Road location over there, uh, Join us there. And so, darling, I'm not putting your makeup on for for you no matter what. Anyway, uh, but anyway, she's not going to let me do that either. Uh, But I will tell you that uh, whatever it takes is what makes a great marriage work. Whatever it takes is the attitude God wants us to have toward each other. God gives us unconditional love so we can pass it on. And today, I want to remind us how important that is and how useful we will be for the kingdom of God if we will just put those things into practice. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just pray that today you will speak and move me out of the way and you remind us of your great love for us and how important it is to pass that love on. In just a moment of silence, if you've come in here today and this week has been hard, somebody has said something horrible about you or you have a lot of resentment towards someone, Maybe you're just going through a hard time in life. Would you say, God, would you help me love unconditionally? Because God, I'm not gonna. Be, you gotta help encourage me, Lord, because I, I can't do this on my own. If you'd like God to teach you something about unconditional love today, say, God, I'll listen. But Lord, you're even gonna have to give me strength to listen because it's just hard for me right now. He'll hear you. He wants us all to love better than we do. Well, Father, I thank you you're always more ready to listen than we are to pray. You're always more ready to love than we are to love you back or to give others love. And so, Lord, I pray that today you'd fill our hearts with love and you'd teach us the things you want us to know about unconditional love. Thank you for Robert and Betsy and their love for each other. Mm, What a wonderful model that is. Help us all treat each other that way. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Point one in your outline. Oh, by the way, if you need a pen, raise your hand. Our ushers will be glad to bring one to you if you don't have one already. You'll want to take notes on this one. God wants us to live godly lives. That's the whole theme of training camp. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this. He said, By his divine power, God's given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. You're going to hear two more. You've heard a couple every week. You're going to hear two more today. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Underline that. Share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. If you have understood that the idea of coming to Jesus is to come to Jesus and then try your best to live up to all the impossible demands of the Bible without any help, then you misunderstood the whole thing. Here's what it means to come to Jesus. I come to Jesus, a filthy, rotten sinner, and say, God, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. Forgive me. Come into my life place your love and your power inside my heart, change me into a loving and caring person, and then I'll be able to carry out your work. And he does that. And those are the terms. All he wants us to do is put it into practice. And so it's not about just, I I, I meet people all the time and they go, John, I don't want to be a hypocrite. You know, I know I can't do the things the Bible says, so I'm just not going to go to church. That way I'm not lying to anybody. I go, well, no, you're not lying to anybody, but you misunderstood the whole deal. You come to Christ because he makes you new. You come to Christ because he gives you the love you'd never have on your own. You and I are wretches. That's the amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The whole idea is you come to Jesus because you've been blind, and now you can see. I've been a wretch, and now I'm washed clean. And so when we come to Christ, it's the most amazing thing when he fills his heart. Fills our hearts with his love and his power. And he makes us into whole new people. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen? That's why we're here. I hope you leave here today encouraged. All the love you need is right inside our hearts already when we come to Christ. Putting it into practice, that's what God wants us to learn. But I want to remind us the first part first that God puts his love in our hearts. Listen to this point A. God promises, these are two promises of God here about this that I want all of us to understand and hold dear. God promises to make his home in our hearts so we can experience his love and his power. God wants you and I to experience his love and his power. I know that because Paul said so when he wrote to the Ephesians. He said, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, just how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience, there it is, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, and then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. When I ask Christ into my heart, I mean, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, y'all, and he fills us with love and he fills us with power. It's like this giant reservoir of love. And as we grow down into him, as we meditate on his word and pray to him, And enjoy Christian fellowship and learn instruction on how to take advantage of that and how to tap into that. All of a sudden, we begin to experience new life. I love it. I get emails from people, they go, I know you're probably not going to think this is a big deal, but I forgave somebody today. I haven't forgiven somebody in in years. Or they'll write me and say, John, it finally happened. My sister and I reconciled. We haven't spoken in 17 years. We reconciled, God did a miracle. And they'll go, does that qualify as a miracle? Yep, that's a miracle. You're in, check. His love is available for us. And I want to remind all of us here, again, if you're struggling to love someone, well, God knows that because there's times we can be just darn near unlovable. But God demonstrated his love for us first. He came to us first. And he says, I will put my love in your hearts. I will give you an amazing reservoir. Paul said you could spend the rest of your life thinking about how wide and how long and how deep it really is. It's wide enough to cover the whole world. God loved the world so much he sent his only son. It's high enough that you could sing all the praises to God you ever could and you could never sing enough about his love. It's It's that high. It's deep enough to go down to the deepest, darkest part of our depression and our fear and our unforgiveness and wickedness and it goes that far. And you and I could think about it forever and ever. In fact, we could just stop right here. And some of you going, well, that would be a good idea. We'd go home early. Not so fast. Okay? Because there's more I want to talk to you about. But he promises to give us the love we need. So if you struggle loving someone, we all do at times. Well, where do we find the strength? Where do we find the love? From God himself. He'll place it in our hearts. The trick is getting access to it and giving it away. A little more on this. I want to refine this even more. God promises to fill our hearts with His love, even though we don't deserve it. I mean, this is the—it's just an amplification of what we said in the first part. He gives us love, so much love we could—it's overwhelming to even meditate on. But the truth is, He places love in our hearts, even though we don't deserve it. Paul talked about this in Romans five. For we know how dearly God loves us, because He's given us His Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Underline, fill our hearts with his love. There it is. He's filling our hearts. But here's when he did it. When we were utterly helpless. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die even for an upright person. though Someone might perhaps be willing to die for someone who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. God went first. He died on the cross for us when we were filthy, rotten sinners. My, this is good news. And that means his love is available for anyone, anytime. And it's so important for us to understand this because God gives us that kind of love. That's the kind of love he wants us to show. And you'll see this as we go through. God wants us to show love to each other. That's great. For Robert and Betsy to show love to each other when they've made commitments, that's wonderful. And we need to celebrate it. But God wants us to show that kind of love even when people aren't willing to give it back. And you'll see that today too, because that's what God did for us. Do you know that Jesus died on the cross for people who were spitting on him? The people who nailed his hands to the cross, mocked him and watched him die. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Unconditional love. Amazing stuff. Amazing grace. But Peter says, God wants you to live a godly life. He's given you everything you need. That's why it's part of this training camp series. Training camp, you learn how to get ready for the season so you can win the games. This is an important aspect of being a Christian so we can be useful to God. Get out there tuesday monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday all all week long at work and be useful for god if we are passing that kind of love on well that makes us extremely useful to the kingdom and remember that's where we started with the series if i become a christian when i'm 20 and i die when i'm 80 do i want to spend 60 years just sitting around waiting to die what are you doing well i became a christian 40 years ago i guess i'm not quite ready to kick the bucket yet so let's watch some more football let's talk about some more trivia That's all I'm here to do, because being a Christian just means you're getting saved. That's all that's important. Salvation is important, but it's not all that's important. God left you here. God left me here because he has things for us to do. And one of the ways we accomplish that he has those things that he has for us to do is to show his love and to model his love for people and to pour his love out on others the same way he poured love on us then we can introduce them to Christ and they can come to heaven too. And they in turn can help others. You'll see that Peter goes on to talk about this in point two. The more we practice unconditional love, the more useful to God we become. You may not think you're useful to God. When you and I love others, we are extremely useful to God. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. His promises to love you even though you don't deserve it. His promises to fill your heart with love that's so deep and so wide and so high and so long, you can never get to the end of it. An inexhaustible supply. Make every effort to respond to these promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. We talked about that a few weeks ago. In fact, this is a laundry list for this whole series. Moral excellence with knowledge. Knowledge with self control, self control, patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Circle love for everyone. That's what we're talking about here. The ancient Greek word is agape. If you've ever seen that anywhere, it's like, oh, that's what that word means. I thought that meant Christian potluck, okay? Agape was just like Greek for green bean casserole or something. No, it means, agape means love for everyone, just unconditional. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course we'll be useful. But those who fail to develop in this way, who don't want to love others and pass the love on, they're short-sighted or blind, forgetting they've been cleansed of their old sins. God forgave you your sins. He wants us to pass on the forgiveness to others who need forgiveness just like we do. Flip your outline over. First John 4.12 explains how we're more useful. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, well, then God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. If you want to show people what God looks like, love people. And we'll talk about how to do that in a minute, some real specific, concrete example. But God didn't give us his love so we could hoard it. He didn't give us an unlimited supply so we could sit on it. I have a wristwatch on that I received in a very unusual way. A good friend of mine. Randy Fulmer passed away a few years ago. And um, he wore this watch all the time. A few months after he passed, his mom called me. And she said, I want to meet you and your wife for lunch. And so we met for lunch. And we sat down with Randy's mom. And at the end of the meal, she said, I want to give you something. And she handed me this watch. And she said, this is Randy's watch. He loved it. I want you to wear it. And that way, every time you look at the time, you'll know what time it is, first of all, because you need to be on time, and that's important. (laughs) She said, the second thing is, you'll think of Randy. You guys had a special friendship, and you meant a lot to him, and I know he meant a lot to you. I said, thank you, ma'am, I'll wear it. Well, fast forward about a year or so, um, we had sent out some Christmas cards or the picture of the family, and we're all there in it, and I have have my hands on the shoulders, so you can see my wrist and other things on the card and the picture, and I get a call from her. uh, The day we'd Taking that picture, I'd gone to work out, and I'd had a watch, a stopwatch on it instead of this one. So she called me and said, John, this is Randy's mom. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, "Uh, you're not wearing the watch. (laughs) Uh, What? And she goes, "Uh, in the picture, I got the picture, you're not wearing the watch. Did you put it up? I mean, it's a nice watch. Did you just put it in a box and put it up? I had it put up. I gave it to you so you'd wear it doesn't do any good in the box. If you're not going to wear it, give it back. I said, ma'am, I ain't giving it back. I'll wear it. I said, John, I gave you the watch to wear it because that way you use it for the purpose that I intended it. It does no good to put it up. Now, if that's true for a gift like this, and by the way, I think of my friend all the time. I thank God for Randy so many times I can't tell you. Ma'am, if you're watching, I got it on. Okay? <laughs> Can you imagine what it's like to be our Heavenly Father and He has given us an unlimited supply of unconditional love and we're hoarding it? We won't pass it on? And He's going, What the heck? I gave you unconditional love, an unlimited supply. You think I did that so you could sit on it? And you could sing songs to me about how great it is and do nothing with it? Now you know why we're talking about it today. Guys, straining camp, remind us how to be useful. If we're going to be useful, God gives us an unlimited supply. He expects us to tap into it, our roots to grow down into it, so we can give it away. So here are uh, four points I want us to remind us about giving it away, not just sitting on it. First of all, I want to say one more time that God loves us unconditionally. For God loved the whole world so much that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I want to read these two scriptures. I'll read this next one here yet. And I want to remind anyone who's here today, if you think God can't love you, God can't forgive you. Anyone in the sound of my voice who's watching this via video or on the internet long after uh, I mean, through a recording of this, maybe a month or a year from now when I'm speaking these words, understand this, God loves you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. He sent his son to die on the cross for you, and he'll forgive whatever sins we have. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God hates our sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I'm not saying sin doesn't matter. I'm saying that God loves us enough to take care of our sins, to pay the penalty and promise us eternal life. Come to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've resisted God and you have not answered a call to come to Him, come today. I understand today, you come to Him. I prayed with a fellow after the first service. He said, Oh, I wish my one of my good friends would have been here today. He thinks he has to get his whole life in order to come to Jesus. You don't get clean before you take a bath. You come to Jesus, He'll wash you clean. God loves us unconditionally. That means no conditions. Just come. Point B, God wants us to love Him unconditionally. He wants us to love Him back unconditionally. He's going to love us. He died on the cross for our sins. He died for the people, like I said, who were spitting on Him. He loves us. He wants us just to love him back. We were created for a love relationship with him. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God completely. No conditions, no reservations. You go, well, I think I love God unconditionally, John. Oh, wait a minute. There are a lot of conditions we put on God. God, I'll love you, but God, I need that job. And if you don't give me the job I want in the time frame in which I ask, I won't believe in you anymore. I prayed about this twice, 30 seconds each time. I've got a minute of my life invested in this. And I don't believe in you anymore. And God, I prayed for that person to get well a few years ago, and they died. So I'm not going to love you anymore. The only way I'm going to love you is if you give me everything I want, when I want it, the way I want it, over and over and over again, because even if you answered a prayer for me five years ago, a prayer for me five years ago, I'm not sure you're still up to, up to it. So I'll doubt you every time I have another crisis. And that's the condition that we love God in. God, I'll love you the way I would love a genie if you grant all of my wishes exactly the way I want. I want that job. I want that car. I want that house. I want that guy. I want this money. I want to get well. I don't want any problems. I want easy street. I want you to leave me alone then I'll love God, but with these 75 qualifiers. God, I'll love you in heaven one day, but leave me alone so I can enjoy this world this day. And that's why there's a warning here. Do not love this world or the things it offers you. When you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you, for the world offers you a craving only a craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements, possessions. These aren't from the Father. They're from the world. Jesus himself said this, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you know why money is so easy to fall in love with and money is such an easy target to love instead of God? Because it gives us the illusion of power and control. And I say illusion because we can all, no matter who we are, no matter how much money we have and how much power and control or pleasure we have, it's only for a season. Because when we die, we leave it all behind. True? It is true. And God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Don't love money. Don't love the things of this earth. It'll make you selfish. Because you'll try to stockpile more for yourself. Use your earthly goods to bless others. And then you'll store rewards in heaven. You'll have them forever. So God says, I love you unconditionally. I want you to love me unconditionally. Well, God, I'll love you. And that's just one area. It could be things like that. We could also say, God, I'll love you, but I'm not going to forgive my sister. I'll love you, but don't, don't, don't talk to me about that forgiveness stuff, Lord. I know that's important to you, but you don't know what she did to me. So I'll love you with all of my heart except for my relationship with my sister. I'll love you with all of my life except for my checkbook. I'll love you with all of my life, Lord, as long as you let me pursue this career. Don't be asking me to take this job over here because I'm not going there. Man, it got quiet in here. Yeah. When Jesus says heart, soul, mind, mm. that's unconditional. God, you got my career. If you Thank you for the job I have. If you lead me someplace else, I'll go there. Thank you for our daily bread. If you want me to share some of my resources, show me where. God, you forgave me. How could I not be willing to pass it on and forgive others? And this is where the rub comes in. And Jesus knows it. Point C, that's the next point. God wants us to love others unconditionally. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The world knows what people look like when they seek fame and money. They, know, they understand the rat race. They understand dog eat dog and the big dog wins. The world gets all that. You know what blows circuits for everybody? is when you and I love and show compassion. When we give and we think of others more importantly than ourselves. And people go, what is that? Where did you get that? Why are you acting that way? Why would you care about me? Why would you forgive me? I treated you terribly. Why did that doctor give up this lucrative practice and go and start a clinic in an inner city to meet a bunch of needs? Why would he do that? Why would a person who's facing death say, I'm not afraid to die and then go around doing good with whatever days they had left instead of being angry and bitter and drinking themselves into a stupor and talking about how life really got the best of them. Yeah, no, I'm grateful for the time I had. I'm going to use whatever days I have left to give stuff away. Where do you find that kind of perspective? Where do you find that kind of love? In the hearts of people who've surrendered their lives fully to Christ. He gives them an unlimited supply. And as they meditate and pray and draw on that supply, there's always more and more in the checking account for them to give away. And John says, you know, when we show each other love like this, it's proof that something is different in our hearts. And my friends, there are people all around us who are dying for somebody to love them. They know what it's like to get kicked in the teeth. They know what it's like for people to trample on them. They know what it's like to have people treat them harshly and rudely. you tell me people all around us aren't looking for people who will give us genuine love? If you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill all the requirements of God's law for the commandments say, this is Paul in Romans 13, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, of course it's summed up as loving your neighbor. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to try to cut in on his wife. I'm going to try to protect their marriage. I love my kids. I don't covet what they have. I help them pay for college. I save up so they can have it. I don't expect it back. I just want them to go to class, okay? One day, I do hope they pass it on to my grandkids. I don't want the money back. I love them. And God says, well, okay, if you understand that, well, then understand when it talks about the commandments, don't steal. I don't want to steal from them. I'll give you what I have. I wouldn't want to kill you. In fact, if somebody was trying to harm you, I'd come to your defense. If I love you, let's see, if I love me, I'm worried about me. And if you got something that I want, I'm going to get it. And that's where love comes in. He gives us an unlimited supply. We can't put it up. We've got to give it away. And that fulfills all the commandments. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Put this in here as one more reference again. If you underline love comes from God. You're saying, John, I don't have that kind of love. I can't do that. Well, welcome to the club. Because we haven't even gotten to the hardest part yet. Jesus is going to take it up another whole notch. Listen to what he says here. You've heard that the law says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. John, I can't be perfect. I know. But we can draw on the, supply, the unlimited supply of love and power given to us by the one who is perfect. If that's good news to you, we'd say amen. Amen. This is why we need to have counsel in small groups. It's why we need to encourage each other because we can teach each other how to reach down, to put our roots down into that love and draw out of it. We can teach each other how to understand the scriptures, how to pray, how to forgive. You can be with other Christians and they can show you this. Please get in a small group. That's part of it. We sharpen each other, encourage each other, warn each other, advise each other love each other. And this is training camp. The more useful we are like this, I mean, what would happen if we prayed for our boss? What would happen if we prayed for a husband who really irritates us and never thinks of us? What would happen? I mean, I talk to people all the time. They they have a hard-working situation. They go, I can't stand my boss. And I go, well, tell me how you're praying for him. Well, I'm praying he'll leave. Uh, Beyond that? I go, yeah. Have you prayed for what's going on in his life or her life? No, I don't care. Wow, just digging deep in that unlimited supply right here, huh? Because, again, the minute I start saying I don't care, North Pole through the head. South pole of the feet, the whole world revolves around me. If I'm going to give love, I've got to start thinking about you. Well, I don't know what he needs. How about if you asked him, how you doing? Oh, so you're back to, I have to care, don't I? Mm-hmm. I don't care. Well, then pray to God that he'll help you care. I'm really telling us that. There are people all around us, they are hurting and they are mean and they have said horrible things and done horrible things to us and we have no idea most of the time what they've gone through. And we need to ask God to show us, God, how can I love them even when they've been very unlovable? Would you help me have any compassion for them? Because right now I have none, they've hurt me. And that brings us to a life application here. Unconditional love, We're going to pass it on. That's a choice. I've got to choose to do this. So John, is this sermon about the unconditional love God has for us or is it about giving unconditional love for others? Yes. Same deal. Didn't give it to you so you could put it up. Wear it. Didn't give you that love so you could hoard it and just meditate on it. Give it away. In fact, the more you give it away, the better you'll understand it. So here's how we can put it into practice. See if any of these things apply in any relationships you have. Love is patient and kind. We can stop there. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. This passage gets read at weddings a lot, but in context here, it was written to the Corinthians for how Christians are supposed to treat each other in church. Of course we read it at weddings, because you got two people standing facing each other, making vows about love, like Robert and Betsy did 50 years ago, making those vows saying, this is the kind of love we're going to have in our marriage. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to choose to be patient and kind. I'm going to choose to forgive you. I'm going to choose to not remember wrongs. I'm going to choose to not always bring up that thing that happened seven years ago as my ace up the sleeve whenever I'm losing an argument. I'll whip this out. Back up the dump truck, put it on the table. I win. Ha <laughs> ha. Because that's not about love, that's about winning. That's about me. I don't care about you, I just wanted to win. Love's a choice. In the margin, if you put not about feelings. Weddings, you don't make commitments to feelings. You don't make commitments to feelings. You can't promise how you're going to feel tomorrow. I can't either. A head cold can send that in the ditch. Seriously, somebody can cut you off in traffic and now I don't feel like anything. My feelings are all over the page. None of these things have to do with feelings. If I'm going to be patient and kind, well, if I'm going to be patient, it would assume that there was something that made me impatient. There was some kind of delay. If I'm not going to remember things that were wrong, it assumes I was wronged. My feelings have nothing to do with it. My feelings will come and go. This is a choice. Oh, and by the way, I need to drop this in here. This is the big difference between living together and getting married. I have people come and see me all the time. They've been living together, and then one, then the person they've been living with for two years or whatever moves out, and the other person comes to see me. My heart is broken. This person left me high and dry. I can't believe it. Were you all married? No, we were just living together. Well, what were the terms? Terms? We didn't have any terms. Yeah, you did. When you moved in, what were the terms? I don't know. We never wrote them down. I go, I know, but here's what they were, basically. If it's good for you and it's good for me, we'll live together. If it's bad for you or it's bad for me, one of us can move out any time. Right? That was basically it. Let's try it out. Good and good. Better and better. If it doesn't work, I'm leaving. So, now you're here today. You're the party that was thinking it was going pretty well. The other person said, it's not good for me. Bye. And you're crying to me. Yeah, I don't think it should be that way. I think it should be that we love each other for better or for worse. I go, oh, well, you want one of these. That's marriage. See, in marriage... You don't get married for better and for better. You get married for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health. It's built in. There are no conditions. I don't care if we have less money. I'm committed to you. I don't care if I get sick or you get sick. I'll take care of you. I don't care if things are better or if they're worse. I'd rather have a worse day with you than a better day without you. I'm in. So if anybody tells you, hey, we're living together, it's marriage practice. Living together is divorce practice. That's all it is. That's what people do when, when they divorce. This isn't working for me anymore. Bye. Those are the terms. Those are the conditions. Living together is conditional love. Call it what you want, it's conditional. Marriage is unconditional. Which is why we celebrate 50 years of it. Don't let anybody sell you anything else. They're lying to you. And my advice to you is if you're in a live-in relationship, get out. Move it to marriage. You can come see us. We'll help you get married. We do premarital counseling here. This is not a game. And you need to take this seriously. Thank you for that unpaid rant. I'm sorry. That, was, uh, that came out really strong. That's just terribly important. I can't tell you as a pastor how that breaks my heart and how people are unusable by God because they trade so much of their life for something that doesn't last. One last point. Christ's unconditional love compels us to tell the whole world this good news. I mean, this is the whole idea of not sitting on it. For Christ's love compels us if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconcil- on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why would, I, why would I want to sit on this? Why wouldn't I want the whole world to know? God loved me no matter who I was, no matter what I did. He forgave all my sins. Not only that, he came into my heart and he gave me an unlimited supply of love and the power to be his child. And now when I draw on that love and I get advice from others and they show me how to mine that out and put that into practice in my life and I give love.